0: Welcome to Sporting Life. Introducing your host, Ed Draper.
1: Hello, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the fireworks over the weekend, fireworks at the moment, bonfire night. If you're in the UK, of course, that is probably a bit of a foreign concept, literally to people from abroad. Um, But I hope you are well. I hope you're looking forward to a good weekend. Thank you for hitting on the button. Appreciate you being here as ever, especially when there's so many different things to entertain us in the modern world of 2021, or scare us, whatever platform you're on. Um, But we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you also to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website, good place to start in terms of the equipment. But remember, through Serena V, always try and stress that Jason Briggs and his fine team can source you whatever fits your vision, your budget, your preferences, your home as well. They can come out and do a consultation. So that is just a company that is liberated to look at the entire market, not just that fine Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham equipment or Bang & Olufsen general equipment they have from around the world which you can visit as well beautiful little store in Montpellier in the heart of Cheltenham wonderful little French quarter there in the courtyard beautiful spot so get in touch with Jason and his team Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham on social media as well b underscore Cheltenham there thank you also to Cytoplan for their association with the podcast Cytoplan is a food-based supplement company they make supplements that are digested as food would be so it's close as possible to getting the food through your regular nutrition and we've been taking their supplements for 20 years plus under the stewardship of my old man my dad dr mark draper who is a general practitioner but also a micronutritionist has worked as a consultant in terms of putting together the supplements for cytoplan but also lecturing for them seminars with other doctors dentists other sort of medical practitioners in terms of um the science behind it, particularly trace elements in the soil and how it's pegged to that in the UK and how that has to be adapted and have to take into mind in terms of what nutrients you'll be getting from your food, where that food is grown in terms of the soil. So wherever you are in the world, you may have to look a little bit into that. But if you look to optimize your immunity, want to check out the range, head to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L a and there's a discount associated with the podcast I should stress my father and I all our family we still pay for the supplements because we believe in them but albeit at a discounted rate which we can share with you so at checkout at cytoplan.co.uk for 30% I believe upfront, 10% thereafter the code is draper10r so it's my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters the numerals one zero and the capital letter r well let's get on to the podcast fantastic guy george groves who actually um we spoke for a long time could have spoken for longer actually i think it's about an hour 20 minutes i hope you enjoy it but it's a riveting deep dive into his career as a professional boxer ended up checking out at 30 as a world champion, just been deposed by Callum Smith, uh, the Liverpudlian giant super middleweight. But George was uh, kind of injured going into that fight, but he retired at 30. And it's just a great story because he's packed so much in after the rejection as a young man of not going to the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, his childhood friend and ultimate nemesis, I suppose, big rival in lots of ways. James DeGale went and won gold and had a sort of jettisoned Uh, more high-profile career early on, but George really worked his way into it. It was very successful, won British Commonwealth titles, won the British title against the Gale at the O2 Arena in 2011. And it's not an accident, and he talks all through here, his his key components of of how he approaches life, seven keys, he says, including um, not wasting time being one of them. And if you look at his career and chart it, it's fantastic. Had the two thrilling encounters with Carl Froch, which ultimately went against him, but how he learned from that, rebuilt, won his world title in Sheffield in 2017 against Fedor Chudinov. And it's just a great story, really. And he ducks out, had some heartbreak along the road that we didn't get into. I think we'll get into in the future with Edward Gutnecht, who he beat in 2016. But Gutnecht uh, suffered life changing injuries there. So perhaps that's part of the picture of, of George getting out of this sport, getting in, getting out. And he's uh, very lucid and, and just very thoughtful and, and ties together lots of the concepts I've tried to in this podcast of sport. And life what we can learn from sport and certainly how he applied his lessons from boxing and continues to do so in everyday life i hope you enjoy it the wonderful the saint george groves george groves welcome to my humble podcast great to see you how are you since we last saw each other just over a month ago
0: yeah no i'm good thanks Uh, yeah good Uh, thanks for getting me on like uh podcast obviously now The Thing you know and uh, I listened to a couple of episodes earlier Um oh, get, a, get a little figure feel of it Um yeah Cheltenham man which learn learn something about someone which is interesting but uh yeah no thanks for having me on
1: yeah well I was a London boy originally then my wife's from Cheltenham so we moved out eight years ago and yeah right. in, in, enjoying it but yeah a bit of commuting a bit of late <laughs> nights but it's uh it's nice to be <laughs> Nice to be out in the sticks, I guess. And definitely. Um but um yeah, which ones did you listen to? I have interest because it's always been a hodgepodge. I've always just got people on of different backgrounds, fitness, boxing, yeah. bit of football.
0: Yeah, let me um get everyone's name right. So I was listening to Tony Wrighton. Um totally. on the energy thing. That that caught my attention. Energy. I was gonna listen, to you know, I haven't finished it yet, but um and he's talking about a lot of things that uh have cropped up in my career when I didn't know there was a thing, you know, (laughs) like, uh, you know, intermittent fasting and stuff like that, you know, that was just... Dieting to me, you know, it was yeah. like intermittent fasting is essentially going without a meal, and that's what you do when you got to lose weight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was Like you, I didn't know there was a, a formula behind it until yeah. like literally last few years of my career. I'm like, intermittent fasting I've been doing that since I was 12. <laughs> so know? did
1: you feel do you, you think you felt better doing intermittent fasting? Because obviously psychologically it was always a challenge for, for fighters to make weight, but do you think it actually helped in some way?
0: Uh at the time, no, because I didn't know I was doing it for that reason, you know. Um, but it helped as in um to shock the metabolism you know yeah. so uh you know i've had training camps where you know i'm training i'm training for a european title fight you know something a huge fight and um i can't shift the weight like the body just don't look right you know yeah. um you're you can't create you can't you can't shed the fat the the visceral fat and you can't um create the the lean muscle mass um so what do you do you chop you cut you cut back on calories and then you throw mm-hmm. in another session and then I mean, I trained. I was doing 11 11 plus sessions a week anyway. Wow. I'm I'm down to, once you're down minus 1500 calories a day, um, you can't really throw any more sessions in and you can't really eat any less. Yeah. Um, So there'll be periods where I'll be, you know, um, going weeks, it felt like uh, starving, you know, but, but, but your body doesn't respond to that correctly. It must think that you've been like, shipwrecked on a desert island or you're stuck on Everest (laughs) or something because you just you hold on to the fat and uh and all the surplus stuff which is you know a bonus like you know your good fine um tissue yeah Yeah. that's going into the muscle it's just it doesn't it doesn't create so um intermittent fasting was great because it always shocked the metabolism you know like one day you feed it feed it feed it you know um and then go a day without you don't even notice that day without because it's a day without um and then you kind of um feel the benefits of it uh you know like two three days later did, was three it quite,
1: was it good psychology psychologically in a way that made you sort of like hungry meaner a little bit did it in the in the build-up
0: maybe but i was always hungry and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always, yeah. always hungry always mean i didn't yeah. need that no. uh, i wanted to be uh pacified I suppose you know like just uh sit there and just oh, you know that sun, that that feeling you get after the Sunday roast you know and you've got yeah. the Formula One on and you have fallen asleep yeah. on the sofa that's that was, that's what I was dreaming about craving for
1: what do you make of weight cut would we look back at boxing in your career what do you make of of cutting in, in in combat sports generally I do it in horse racing as well I don't have been horse racing you're not getting punched in the head so it's a bit it's a bit different although you might land awkwardly or something like that which could be be dangerous how do you look at it and would you have always been super middleweight if you went back again and, and done it again?
0: I think I, would all, I definitely would have been super middleweight at the start of my career. Um, and it was it was not too difficult to make that 12-stone limit. You know, I was, yeah. I'd walk around at in kilos. I'd be walking around at 78, 79 kilos in the gym, and then I've got to make 76.2. Oh, okay. um, but come near the end of my career, I was just naturally a heavier guy. You know, people mm. put on weight, you know, going from – your body i think you i don't i can't remember the exact science of it but i know in seven year cycles are pretty important you know you know like mm.
1: you,
0: you know you by the time you're seven then you're 14 then you're 21 like 21 is usually when you're a different sort of athlete than you are at say 28 you know yeah you know, so like sprinters um footballers will peak at you know uh, 28 mm. box a lot of middleweight boxers will peak at 28 heavyweights might peak at 35 you know so distance you pull out, you out as you
1: get older don't you which can help heavyweights i
0: think yeah you and you just just become that maybe a little bit more teak tough. you know you, your bones weigh more you know it's tough so like i'd go from walking in the gym to start camp at as i say 78 79 kilo in the end i'm walking in the gym at 91 plus kilo and really? then it's like wow. yeah and then and then it's a big cut you know it's a, yeah, yeah. literally and um i've had to relax mentally and switch off um but it's not like i'm not i wasn't a big drinker i wasn't a huge huge eater Obviously, i love my food and i'll have a drink from time to time but it wasn't like you know i'll just be boozing and then pile on the weight. it was literally go as i say going from training 11 times a, a week you know minimum uh to and you know 1500 calories a day always watch to eating like a normal person and not really training yeah uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, three, three and a half thousand calories a day, and then no training all of a sudden, you know, within two weeks, uh, I look human again, but I'm also 90 plus kilo again. So, uh, that was, that was something that was really difficult, um, at the end of the career. And, you know, sometimes it was, it went smoother than others. Like when you had a fight that was back to back, you know, camps that yeah. were back to back, you'd have, you know, you always had your eye on the next fight. So you wouldn't be that long out of the gym, but sometimes if, Family stuff came up, you know, you know, or, or a fight wasn't made or there's something else that's gone on and you end up having, you know, six to eight weeks out of the gym and then you yeah. come back. <clears throat> um, yeah, you've got to start from scratch. Yeah.
1: And You do you do just get heavier regardless of, of sort of how much weight you probably get bigger as you get older, don't you? I think it's interesting thinking back to uni when I was there and playing football, I was sort of 11 and a half stone, but I wasn't really doing anything particular. And I'd obviously training more, but you do just fill out and get broader as you, as you get older. And I think what people don't realise with you is, because I was, I was doing some research for the dinner that we were going to host together in Birmingham recently, and uh, and it was sort of seeing again that you are listed at sort of five and five eleven, I think, and a little bit. And actually, when you meet you, you're at least six one. So I think people forget that you're a big, you're a big, <laughs> big super middleweight. I know you ended up fighting Callum Smith, who's a ridiculously big super middleweight, but you're very big for uh, for the division.
0: Yeah, that was a conscious, conscious decision, actually. The the box wreck uh, listing, which box rec is like the holy grail, what people list by. Yeah. I put myself down as five eleven. Mm. So when people are coming through looking at me, they're thinking, oh, he's not that big. I'll have I'll have a bit of George, you know what I mean? I'll have a bit of that. And they get in the ring and I'm like. Yeah, I used to say I'm six foot on a good day, but I think since I start stop boxing, I've probably got got uh, another another inch right. in me. So uh, I'm standing up straight now, back's better, you know, posture's better. So yeah, yeah. yeah I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a solid six foot. So yeah, it's a nice surprise. I love I love that when people say, "Oh, you're bigger than I thought." It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but a, it's funny a boxing ego thing
1: in boxing you did have that light heavy seven pounds high that you could have gone to but it's weird i always think i look at boxing and, and mma say they've got massive gaps generally but in boxing you've got 175 to 200 and you've you got light heavy to cruiserweight must be so many people who fall in the middle there because that's just basically your average big guy who'd fall in the middle there i think
0: yeah i mean i feel like the the average weight of a you know of a man now is different than it was 50 years ago where we're a bigger species you know um mm-hmm. we walk around different you know like 12 stone was the average you know. 10 to 12 stone was the average size of a, of, a, of a man you know yeah as i say in the bygone era now you know 14 stone plus and you know i meet friends and they say you know how how did you make 12 stone because they're looking at me and like <laughs> they're six inches shorter and they're not fat you know they're just normal yeah. dudes and they'll be like 13 and a half stone I'm like well come and meet Lawrence Okoli. Like he's six foot five and he's, a, he's 14 stone. So, um, it's bizarre. Obviously there's different, there's, there's like normal weight and there's, you know, box or athlete's weight that is different. But yeah, I think it is a massive jump, as you say, from, from light heavyweight to cruiserweight and then cruiserweight, you know, if you can't make that 14 stone limit, or even if you can, but you fancy a, the shot at a bigger fight, mm. um, you're then thrown to the walls. and there's, there's discussions of a bridge weight, I think, um, who was the fight? Someone just won a world title at a bridging weight, a new weight division. Yeah. It might be 15 or 16 stone.
1: But... You, is, that, is that the problem, or is it, is it between light, heavy, and cruiser? Is that the issue? Because you go from 12 and a half to, to 14 stone, four, don't you? That's a big mm. big gap. Well, p- people are always moaning
0: about there's too many world title belts out there. Yeah. Um, and then they're moaning there's too many divisions. Um, but I, if I was. <laughs> A preference would be, yeah, there should be there should be a category between um, light heavyweight and cruiser because that is a huge jump. It doesn't really fit the, the the stepping stones you've got going up. And then obviously cruiser plus is is your free for all because you can be uber talented like a you know Alexander Usyk who's you know managed to win beat and Joshua. But if you can make fourteen stone and then you've got to go and fight Tyson Fury who's eye on twenty stone, six foot nine. Yeah. It's not a fair fight. So when people ask me, like, oh, you know, where would you put Tyson Fury in the pound-for-pound pound ratings? I'm like, every fight he has is a pound-for-pound pound rating, isn't it? Because, <laughs> you know, he just beat Deontay Wilder. He was three, three stone bigger than him. So yeah. it's like, it is a, it is a, oh, it's crazy at the heavyweights, but um, you can't yeah. do anything about it. You know, we're fascinated with giants. The humans are bigger now, fighters are bigger, uh, and the big guys can actually, there's more of them, and they can move about, and they can do a little bit more than they used to. So it's not yeah, always we're... like a.
1: We never thought, did we? I think that the, the boxing literature always said that if you went over six three, you lost your your balance, six feet three inches tall or whatever. And that was a I guess a mitigating factor which made it easier for the younger guy. But when you look at someone like Tyson Fury or even Anthony Joshua, you're like, well, these guys are six six. Joshua in in Fury's case, six nine, and he's still got balance and moving around. That kind of makes it very difficult, doesn't it, for the smaller chaps in the in the heavyweight division?
0: Yeah, no, it does, it does, it does. It makes it almost almost impossible because you can't just be a bit of a big bruiser you know you're gonna have to have a bit about you a bit of boxing skill and there are guys out there you know you look at um Hergovic he looks like a really good a good good guy waiting for him to pull the trigger and make a move um mm. yeah I'm trying to think of some other sort of relatively big guys with, with some decent skill but they are <laughs> you know heavyweights they're f- far and few between I think there's now there's going to be more big guys in general more big athletes that are attracted to boxing that could Do go you? a different route you know different yeah. sport um, because of, you know, the hype and the, the excitement in the heavyweight division and the money that comes with it.
1: Yeah, I think just that heavyweight division is the big catalyst for the whole thing in terms of... I suppose that's where people would go into rugby. Um, potentially football could be defenders or mm. or uh, other sports, isn't it? I guess the heavyweights.
0: Yeah, well, if you meet anyone in... The, uh, I've met quite a few professional footballers and they all tower over me and it's, they're mm. just footballers. You know, like you meet, the, I think, the Chelsea team, there wasn't anyone under 6'3 at one point, you know, and you come yeah. out and... Um, they're big guys. So You have some, meet Frank Lampard, and he towers above me. Do you know what I mean he's just like just a, you know he's just a talented midfielder. You thought that he doesn't need size, but he does. Like you know that's part of the game now. So uh yeah, you know the but boxing, boxing is keeping them, keeping them coming, keeping them active, keeping yeah. them honest. Well, it's so, when,
1: uh, we saw we watched Usyk, didn't we? The, the dinner against Anthony Joshua. I mean, when you reflect on that, do you think because of the size difference, people don't necessarily who aren't boxers appreciate how good that is, how brave it was for for Usyk to dance so close to him and and basically at the end rough him up?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it showed that a guy with um superior sort of skill and technique and experience to a certain degree um can go out there and and perform and get that win and obviously with the with with the size as you say there are limitations you know you are less mobile you know um you you don't punch as correctly as you could in a smaller frame. Like you go and watch some, you know, light flyweight, super weights You know they look like magicians and they'll throw hundreds yeah. and hundreds of punches around. You know, so the bigger you get, you know, your limitations come. I was in right bang in the middle sort of thing, with middleweight, where you had to have a bit of everything, otherwise mm-hmm. yeah. you 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 know you'd get found out. Um, but yeah he got he got sort of outfoxed um Joshua and and, and like you know even as a Brit as a, you know, as, as a, you want the Brits to win you're scratching your head going well, what what can he do different next time you know yeah. uh, who's going to be better the likelihood is that Usyk might be better in the rematch than actually Joshua will be rather than the other way around um but you know it's uh it's it's definitely a, an achievement definitely something to admire to take on someone that big and um, do your bit you know I used to love sparring the heavyweights when I was when I was boxing because you had so much speed on them you know I didn't want any of them, no. the, them giants you know, um, Wilder came over I was training David Hayes and Wilder came over way way before he you know fought for a world title sparred with Hay uh, and a couple of others I think Carlos Takan was over and stuff guys like that I never jumped in with them dudes I was yeah. like the ones I wanted the, oh. the fresh ones are a bit slow <laughs> that I could catch <laughs> how, how did <laughs>
1: David Haye get on with um, Deontay Wilder do you remember that did you watch any of that yeah I, I
0: I gotta be honest. I, I I never watched a lot of it um, because um, I don't know. It was, i just had that a f- funny uh, mindset. You know, I was like, right, my my. I was always about me. Do you know what I mean? I'll come in train and I never like lingering at the gym. I thought that was like energy wasted. So yeah. um, sometimes I'd linger and watch watch hey a and sometimes I would just clear out. But I think I saw more of that sparring on tape than I have live. Um, Wilder's obviously a huge guy, crude. Um, Buck a punch, you know, but I think they buzzed each other. It was a real entertaining spar, you know. Hey, hey, always sort of broke down. I'm-, I'm not giving away any real in in house secrets here, you know. Mm. Like, so the sparring, it ne- you wouldn't rattle out 10, 12 rounds sparring. Hey, he would have more sparring partners than the actual rounds he'd get out on the day, yeah. you know. So if you got three out, that was a bonus.
1: Six was a miracle. But what would know? go wrong? Shoulder injuries? or what was his main problem?
0: Well, he's just like a real finite athlete where. Yeah. Everything was on the brink, you know, and I feel like because he was such an explosive um, athlete, he was like a sprinter, you know, but you yeah. can't put a sprinter in in a situation where there's so many variables because they mm. will break something. And he was like that, you know. There's it, it, not probably a part of his body that hasn't um, caused him problems throughout his career, much like all other fighters, but him sort of especially because yeah. he was such a fast switch fiber fighter where, you know... They're delicate. <laughs> yeah. You can't be delicate in boxing.
1: It felt like his career was like a shooting star, wasn't it? He, even for heavyweight, I know he's obviously the undisputed cruiserweight champion, but his, I guess, what he brought to the table seemed to be it was God-given, and it, it wasn't there for for a long time. As we found out with his comebacks, he wasn't actually that old in, in heavyweight terms when he came back. Mm,
0: yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was like a, a smash and grab sort of setup. He um he unified the cruiserweight division and went up to heavyweight and won a heavyweight world belt, and then sort of left. At the age of 30, 31, you know, Mm. obviously he's 41 now and he's made a couple of comebacks since, but I consider like the end of his career was maybe Derek Chisora after losing to Klitschko a year before. 2012. Um, And he didn't, he wasn't like a young pro. I think he was into his twenties by the time he turned pro, you know, he'd won a silver at the, the world amateur championships. So, um, like, um. Great guy for the sport, you know. Uh, at the time, controversial, definitely, but for me, just wonderful person to be around. You know, I were my eyes were open to everything that was going on. I learned how to be a pay-per-view fighter before I was ever a pay-per-view fighter. Just really? you know, hanging around with, with with these guys, you know, um, taking the good with the bad, you know, uh, dealing with the pressure, um, dealing with the, with the exposure and you know the media and you know what's on, mm. you know, what's expected um and yeah and i suppose that you know like anything they were sort of they would learn it for the first time um so i tried to whenever they made a mistake i tried to learn from it myself (laughs) and uh but no it was invaluable experience that i gained you know um on the the coattails of david hay and the haymaker team
1: did you learn about provoking rivalries and getting the attention because that obviously I suppose when people look at you, they think of rivalries, they think of the Gale and Groves and, and how he was like, a, he was so persistent in, in courting or not courting, but trying to r- rile Vladimir Klitschko and Vitaly Klitschko ended up fighting Vitali, uh, Vladimir, mm. sorry, but it was, um, it was a conscious campaign that he, that he had, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, how he could create something out of nothing, um, which is a promoter's dream. And he was, he was promoting himself. So, you know, he there was nothing that, that wasn't was off the table. You know, um, and sometimes it went a little bit too far, but you know, it, it got the job done at times. You know, uh, well, che- cheesy things in in hindsight, but like things that really worked. And you know, just being there around you know some of the guys at Sky and you know some mm-hmm. of some of the photographers and um, you know some of the red top newspaper. You know. They just they loved it, lapped it up, you know. They said we're going to make um, a seven foot two uh, Valuev. Oh yeah, cardboard <laughs> cutout, and then it wasn't even seven foot two. I think it was about seven foot six. And but the problem they did is they put this measuring bit on the side, so when Hayes stood next to it, he only looked about five eleven, <laughs> <laughs> when really Hayes like a solid six three. So yeah. um, and then he punches punches the head off of it, and the cameras are... and it's like. Um, all of a sudden, like everyone's interested in this fight. It's David versus Goliath. You know, it's a huge, <laughs> huge mega fight. And uh as I say, it's like you see Tyson Fury doing it a lot now, just these oddball sort of things. You know, sometimes Tysons are a little bit more creative, mm. but uh you know, I remember there being a big hullabaloo before we were we was in the hotel in Nuremberg going to the fight, um, which was Hey so Hayes away from home. And um, they were worried about a chair in the changing room. Was there going to be a comfy chair? So they just got the most uh, ostentatious, I think that might be the right word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, 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 this chair that's just like, oh, it looked like, I don't know, half Santa's oh, grotto, half yeah. like string <laughs> fellas, I'd imagine. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. it was just, and um, they've got six of the security guards carrying this, this <laughs> enormous chair out. And, you know, the pay-per-view cameras are rolling; they're loving it, and it's just part. You know, why is there so much fuss about a chair? I was, hey he needs yeah. his chair. He's got to sit yeah. in a comfy chair before the fight. <laughs> <laughs> so little things like that, you you learn and pick up along the way, and you know, uh, say so, Hey never really had any genuine rivals. You know, he, he, hmm. he fabricated them, and he just created interest. Um, yeah. Luckily for me, it was much easier in that I didn't end up with genuine rivals. You know, the first one was obviously DeGale, who we knew. It, I knew him intimately. We grew up together. We trained yeah. together. Um, we had, we had the fiercest of rivalries. Probably I can't think of another rivalry that 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 rivals it. Um yeah. and then obviously
1: because you knew each other I'm, genuinely. Is that does that make a difference thing? A lot of times in boxing it's people not liking each other from afar, but you had that sort of animosity that grew up from, we, from youth. well, yeah,
0: our careers were on the same path for so long you know um we were always trying to leapfrog each other and we did like there's loads of periods in in the career where he's in front and I'm in front he's in front I'm in front and like part of it was like doesn't matter where we are now it's where we finish I've got to finish in front of him (laughs) and then the argument's still out there I mean I think it's pretty conclusive I beat him but you know it's but but he'll definitely make a great case for himself as well um,
1: but you you at beat Eubank Jr relatively recently
0: that, before you that, that was where whoosh, that was where I sort of like well we're done now like I beat Eubank in the February and then I think he boxed him in the January and lost Um so I was like well there you go Um <laughs> you know it's, it's a it's a marathon not a sprint and I lasted I, I
1: saw I lasted the distance but um were you, were you friends as kids though because how old were you when you first met James because it was in the Dale Youth Club wasn't it in-
0: yeah so James was there before me um so he might've started when he was like, he might've been there a year or so before I got there. And there's mm. two years between us. He's two years older. So, uh, might've taken me, I might've been there a year before I'd sort of, I was really shy before I'd even spoke to him or spoke to anyone really. Yeah. Um, I sort of came in and, and left. Um, but then we ended up, you start the school boy championships, which is like, it's like the Holy grail when you were like 11 years old, I promise you. It's like, mm. you got the kids names on the wall who've won it before um it's all the club coaches talk about I mean this club Dale Youth was a very successful junior club we had no senior boxers at all so by the time you got to 17 you either had to move clubs or quit boxing you know that was yeah, just wow. how it was um so that was all it was that was all we cared about you know we watched watched a bit of pro boxing on the telly like Nas and Lennox and stuff like that yeah. but you know that was uh, you know we, we'll get to that one day we've got to win the schools um but I, you know, I won my first twenty-eight fights, I, I took it. You know, I thought I was gonna—that was quite kind of unheard of in amateur boxing because you win some, you lose some. But I went on a run and won all four of the schoolboy titles, and I don't think James won any of them. He
1: wasn't really. Do you think you were natural then? Is that?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. natural. I mean, like, I just, I just um, had it. You know, James. James was everyone talked about James being like really skillful but not dedicated. And then he got to an age, he probably got to like 16, 17 or something, where he sort of just all of a sudden decided, no, I'm going to make a real effort here. Started doing the runs properly, got himself. He was a light heavyweight. That's why they called him Chunky, because he was just a little fat kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he dropped down to middleweight, won the seniors, which was at the time really good because senior ABA titles were for grown men. Like you had to be a big... (laughs) hair on your chest, burly man, you know, comes out the army or, you know, he's been been boxing forever, doesn't fancy the pro game. But he didn't. He come in, won it on skill, um, and then um, won back to – I think he went to the Commonwealth Games, picked up a bronze, but he won back-to-back ABA titles um, before he went in for the third time, fought me, and I got the win, and, and then I went on and won it. So um, – Yeah, well, I I don't think we were ever... We were friends as in, like we would hang out, but we never ever like, we've gone a lot of trips together with Dale youth, but we never shared a room, yeah. you know, it was like we were friends, but we're po- our personalities probably weren't quite the same. Um, and then once we were thrown in together, <laughs> that was it. It was great. We never spoke again. So the people um, at Dale
1: youth, did they feel conflicted? Cause I mean, in the media, sometimes we feel conflicted because we all know both guys in a fight, not often get on with both guys, but then they don't go on with each other. And you understand why did what well, the, the people mm-hmm. at the club, what were they like around, around you too? Are they sort of, why yeah. So, so,
0: so, so the club coaches, uh, um like the main coach was Mickey Delaney, and he, he he sort of um said, I'm I'm stepping out of this. He didn't do our corner. So we, we when we boxed each other as amateurs, we had to find uh like different coaches from mm-hmm. another club. So I had this this chap called Joe Smythe, who's um was a Finchley coach, and I think another Finchley coach uh did uh did Gale's corner. So it was impartial because um this was sort of new and a new setup for, for Dale Youth as well. A lot of their fighters never fought each other because one, they never got to senior level before. There was always different weights and different ages as kids. Mm. Whereas once you're an adult, you're just all thrown in. So that first year of, of, of the senior ABAs, I think we had three in from Dale our way. Um, and there was like five in at Welter. They, like, they all had to fight each other. So Mick sort of said he's staying out of it. Um and but you know we still got trained we didn't spar each other but we could you know we'd be in the gym we'd be sparring we would do uh, we do pads with all the coaches there but um he tried to stay impartial and then after the fight you know um james wasn't happy wasn't you know he like probably threw some blame out somewhere but he 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 didn't want to leave the club hmm. so he started training on the junior nights so he would go in um like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Started training with a, a coach called Steve Noon. I think it was Steve Noonan, who's um he's not at Dale anymore, but he was the junior coach there at Dale also. um yeah. You know, it made sense for him. It, Dale was still his local club. Plus, now he's he's on England squad, so he's or, or GB squad, so he's in Sheffield Monday to Friday every week anyway. So, um, it sort of timing wise, it worked really well for yeah. him
1: how significant was losing out to the gale in the olympic selection in 2008 obviously he was the selectors of vindicate because he won the the gold medal at, at mm-hmm. beijing but do you feel that that kind of made you in a way And was it liberating to become a pro because you weren't reliant on selectors anymore you could like you say engineer your own story and get attention and get a pay-per-view fight once you'd learned that under david hay
0: mm. yeah no uh, it was it was heartbreaking at the time you know like so you have to go to qualifying um tournaments before you get selected unless you're the host nation you've got to qualify in boxing and um de was the number one um and it had been almost been about 18 months since i'd beat him but i never got that looking and yeah I took, I took that real personally um mm-hmm. i uh there was only a certain amount of places on the sort of the the a team the, the you know the the team that was going to get sent sent away um and there was a there was a scottish lad middleweight who won a bronze medal somewhere his name was fundu something or <laughs> sorry i can't okay. forget his name. I can't remember them so he had to go in at middleweight mm. uh, and then it was a toss-up between me and Digal. and they'd already had an investment in Digal; he would won a bronze at the commonwealth so Digal got got the call up um and i was living i was fuming i was like no this is this, it's my it's got to be not my time you know i've beat him yeah. i've done everything that's asked me rahly, rahly, rah. so um I was always in the sort of the 2012 group. You know, my age group was Anthony Agogo, uh, yeah. Luke Campbell, a few, a few others that I can not remember if they made it to 2012 or not. But um, well, Campbell, yeah, yeah, you know, Campbell yeah, and yeah, Agogo yeah. did. They medaled, but there was a few others there. Um, Stalker. We, uh, Stalker, Stalker was probably on the on the on the A team because he's a bit older than us, um, mm. and he, he didn't he didn't turn pro, but. There was a few people that was so Billy Joe Saunders was in in our group, but um, the chap in front of him at welterweight wasn't doing too well, so uh, they put Saunders in. Cal uh, Yafi as well. Um, the Langley brothers, one of them was at his weight, and, and they, I think they might not, have, they might have had an injury or a couple of losses, yeah. and then so he got he got bumped up. But um, Diggel he didn't he didn't he didn't get a lot of wins, but. Um, <laughs> stayed fit enough to go. And then, you know, on the last one, he, he qualified. Um, and my, my, I'll be honest, my resume at the end internationally wasn't great. I think my last 10 fights with, with, for England or GB, I'd lost like four or five of them. Um, some were maybe my fault. Um, but somewhere, you know, your sense of Macedonia, uh, it, and fighting some sports hall against, you know, you know, there's four <laughs> Russians sent out there and, you know, you're not sending any officials with you, you yeah. know you ain't going to come back with no gold medal, you know. Um
1: Good, good uh, so life experience, though, is it that, I guess? But, yeah,
0: you know, I mean, I loved it in that... I never, ever said no. I never... There was a, it wasn't one tournament I didn't go to... I did see my amateur career as a a bit of an apprenticeship for the pros at this stage as well. You know, I wanted to go to the Olympics and win. I wanted to win every fight. I took losing far too personally, but, um, you know, I've been to Azerbaijan, I've been to to Bosnia, I've been to Macedonia, I've been to Croatia, I've been to, um, I can't think now, loads of countries that I would never ever go to or none of my friends or family have ever been to. And, it was, it was just a, it was just an amazing conversational piece, you know? It's just like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you meet a dad on the school run and he's, he's from Azerbaijan, you're like, yeah, I was in Baku in
1: 2004,
0: <laughs> you know? And, and he's like, right. and they look at you like, what on earth was you doing in Baku? I mean, Baku's really nice now. They've spent a lot of money yeah. on it. They, they had... Uh,
1: Euros, didn't they?
0: Yeah. Euros there, and they've had some Olympic stuff there. But um, when I went there, there wasn't, there wasn't an awful lot on offer, you know? So... It's a it's a great story, you know. Like we went to we went to Texas, stayed in Brownsville on on, for two weeks in the Junior Olympics. Um, all these like amazing experiences that you get as an amateur. I was speaking to Darren Barker recently and him talking about his he's saying like some of some of his best days was being an amateur, being on the road like with his club Repton or Finchley, or even you know, being for England as well, because you got the camaraderie of your your teammates and your friends uh as well as seeing parts of the world you probably would never have a chance to see, in so uh it's, it's amazing
1: yeah it makes it's probably a tough switch though isn't it? going from a team to to individual pro ranks was that difficult do you feel that when you would travel it became a different type of traveling didn't it when you're on your own with a, i guess a small yeah, team.
0: yeah yeah i mean it was you're you're a team as such but you are you are it is you do you know what i mean like if if you send a team of 10 to, to, to Brownsville, Texas, right? And they say to you before you get there, you can win a gold medal and no one else or everyone else can win a gold medal when you don't. So you can come away, the team comes away with nine or they come away with one. You're like, well, I know exactly which one I'm going for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to be the champion, you know? Um, it's 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 fighting. You live and die by it at the time, you know, especially when you're young, you've got no responsibilities, you've got no family. You literally will go out on your shield for anything.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Anthony yeah, Gogo, uh, a real good, power of mine we've spent so many so many great memories together over the years as an amateur
1: you watching his wrestling career
0: yeah his wrestling career is going really well i mean i ain't got a clue what's going on i don't have a clue about wrestling
1: stomach punch is a special move because i interviewed him for uh, sky sports but yeah i think he's trying to add the sort of suplexes and stuff he's he's learning all that stuff
0: yeah I, i think he's realized that like his um his sort of school school playground um wrestling skills don't quite cut it at this like uh, this no. level that he's at now. So he's sticking with what he knows. There's a few body punches going in, but yeah, he's working on the old suplexes and <laughs>
1: clothesline.
0: yeah, clothesline. Yeah, yeah. I could probably get off a clothesline after a couple of days yeah. training. But yeah, um, we went to Poland and um, it was our maybe our first senior fight for England. Uh, it was England v Poland, uh, and I boxed some Polish guy. I don't think he was memorable um yeah. did gail went out there he, he he uh he boxed uh boxed really well but a go-go lost and i won but i broke my jaw <laughs> and uh we're both laying in bed the rest of them have gone out like yeah i don't know gone out for pizza and probably uh, nightclub or something we're both laying in bed sulking uh, yeah. and i'm laying there thinking do i want to be you or do i want to be me like you've you've lost but I've got a broken jaw and I don't know what this means. I don't know how long I'm out for. You know, we're talking about Olympic qualifiers coming up soon. And yeah. All, you know, I was like concluded that man, I'd rather be me. You know, I've got a at all costs. This was totally worth it. Then I go, go. Yeah. Hindsight, I'm not quite sure if that is the right. <laughs> thing. Cause you know, live to fight another day as such, but um, it was important to me that that's the, the winning was so important i think that you need that really in in fighting and definitely in life you know
1: do, do you need the pain and the suffering of defeats or setbacks in sport or life or, or can you make adjustments sort of coolly from a setback without feeling the, the sort of suffering do you you know as you got older were you more i guess detached about it when you could analyze it you know the obviously defeats came few and far between mm. as you got older was it any way easier were you able to sort of detach yourself and look at it as a sort of student
0: yeah, no, definitely. I mean, not getting selected for the Olympics, um, first and foremost was a kick in the teeth, but an amazing disappointment to, to overcome at a really early stage of my career. So, um, hmm. I, uh, I see that as a valuable, a valuable lesson really like, um, and I've had a few of them, you know, things that I've had to overcome as, as the, as the years went on. So, um, they are, they toughen you up, they give you the experience, you know, you have to learn from them. Sometimes, you know, it's not straight away, you know, you'll be, you'll be lingering on something for, for years, even, you know, like Hmm. uh, before you can quite come to terms with it and put it to bed and progress from it, you know? So I talk about these, you know, I talk about the seven key traits to, to become a champion, how to become a champion. And essentially what you're building is resilience and, unwavering self-belief so confidence you know and the, some people have these not necessarily naturally but they just come to people easier than others yeah. but you have to go through these traits to get there
1: and what are the traits run through them
0: so let me make sure i get them all right so one you keep going two to um to not waste time three to live with clear intentions um let me make sure i uh, Because I I usually run for a
1: minute in the order, and I've um that wasting time one's interesting, isn't it? Because that applies to everyone.
0: Yeah, because uh, they um. So let me go. Right, keep going. Number one, keep going. Two, stay focused. Three, be willing to make sacrifices. Four, to not waste time. Five, to live with clear intentions. Six, to take responsibility. And seven, be willing to restart. Be willing to start over so throughout my career there's loads of things that went right and wrong but there's loads that, that, and there's things where these come into play now i needed all these things to become a world champion in the end you yeah. know it took me four attempts um i didn't have it easy but you know i had to learn along the way and um whether it be going into the first like uh, british title fight against james the uh, so it's our second fight but first in the pros yeah, only think, yeah. only fighting the pros you know I, I'm well liked, but no one thought I was going to win. You know, I was a four to one outsider and I had to make massive sacrifices in the build up to this. So, you know, I, had, and I had to stay focused, like, because... how
1: do you, how did you focus on what you believe? I mean, you had beaten James DeGale away from the, the, the limelight anyway, before, hadn't you? Was that what you, was your source of belief? Or was it just a general belief in yourself that you thought, anyone who came on that you you could beat them because that noise sometimes in life's hard to say isn't it whatever job we're in we have people around us saying oh they're brilliant at the job and you might think well i'm not as good as them or or whatever mm. it might be how did you get away from the bookmakers and all that clamor of, of the media
0: well i mean i've always i've always had the belief you know i've always thought the greatest of all time you know like um and just gotta got like, out of there and show it and prove it but then you've got the the added spotlight the added pressure and the, you know you're underneath the yeah the, the, the yeah the pressure's on when no one else is sort of with you and you know I, I so for the degan fight I'm there and I'm like I need to convince him you know or I just have to win every exchange you know I thought I've tried and then I bring yeah. that into the the build ups as well so every exchange, because obviously you have to meet to announce the fight. So there'll be a press conference. There might be some media obligations that you've got to do to, you know, film the promo, or you know, they might want you on the ringside episode. And then come fight week, you got the presser again. You have got the you know, the media workout. You have got um, weigh in and fight.
1: So you planned all that. What you were going to do. How you're going to be. To a certain degree, yeah. You know, or,
0: or I try and envision what what DeGal is going to say and bring and what he's going to do. So you know the ringside episode that we did together i knew james would show up in a tracksuit, so i was i was going to wear a suit i was going to look smart you know like um whether that was going to make a difference or not but for me it's like no i'm i'm professional like this is this is uh,
1: mm.
0: we're not in the gym now so i'm going to wear a shirt i'm going to wear a tie i'm going to wear a suit i'm going to wear a larry tie i'm going to peacock effect. Yeah. you know what i mean i'm going to get him to comment on my tie that's a win right he doesn't know that i don't know why that's a win but so you,
1: you hadn't studied this psychology you just knew this stuff sort of intuitively you thought about it in your own own time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean i hadn't studied anything i'm not you know um so i don't uh try and but it worked. Uh, you can watch that ringside do back on youtube yeah rings ringside's great Ring so fans,
0: it's yeah. it's the highest viewing it's got the highest viewing figures ever and it is really good entertainment i was really happy with that I remember this is like before for me like before social media really i think i had a twitter account um maybe even an instagram account but i didn't it wasn't instagram like now like it is now right. so i didn't have a clue on how this was going to be perceived really until we watched it back and i watched it back i was like oh no, no that was really good i'm happy with that that's okay <laughs> because it's like uh i'm gonna catch him out you know like so i'm a, i fight i'm an aggressive counterpuncher. so i force mistakes and i make people pay for them you know mm. and sort of taking that same approach to The fights outside the ring, so I'm going to be, yeah. So I'm going to be present. I'm going to make myself feel big. I'm going to present myself big. I'm going to sit up straight. I'm going to make eye contact. You watch press conferences, and one guy's talking, and one guy's not mm-hmm. looking at him yeah but so if you turn and look to your opponent and say okay well i'm listening have you got anything yeah. worthwhile listening to to say uh the pressure's back on them they're like oh <laughs> i better give you psych," and then they might then think right well, well i need they become more agitated or more uh because they've got to try and engage but they're not quite ready for that engagement so then you're ready to pick them off with stuff they're going to say and If they make a contradiction or they start you know m- they change their tone or they change their stance. You know, you're just there to. Well, you're listening,
1: obs- listening and observing with key key components of that whole media interaction, the, the build up to a fight.
0: I think so. I think so. You know, um, you know, you you meet um, life coaches or you know motivational speakers and stuff like that, and they've got these you know these tools that they they encourage people to to do. And yeah, some most of the time I just switch off and I go ah, you know, because I wasn't necessarily trained for it, and yeah, I was yeah. like. Yeah, but 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 loads of it it makes a lot of sense and and is correct. So they'll try and but they try and pigeonhole your <laughs> your to Like, oh, so you you like you uh, you visualize you visualize this. You're like, well, I don't remember sitting down and saying, right, let's visualize it. But then when I think about it in hindsight, I'm like, well,
1: yeah. I mean, I do... When I'm well, in you, the gym, you knew James would be in a tracksuit. You knew you'd be wearing a suit. You knew kind of what <laughs> potentially you'd say. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, we're in the gym doing pads. You know, every day. And we're visualizing the guy in front of us, we're doing the shot, so it's, it's visualizing, it's not necessarily a, a, a new thinking concept it, to us, thinking about it exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, just just um, Anticipate. yeah, you're anticipating what's coming your way and making sure you're prepared for it. So, um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was good, it was good, it was really good. I uh. The, gen- the the gal build up and just took took that again, obviously into uh, the big the big rivalry with with Carl Frotch as well. So you know, again, I'm the I'm the B side. I'm the I'm the the protagonist. I've got to like ugh, I've got to engage. Like, yeah. we have got to get something out of it. I've got to get my money's worth, you know. So um, I'm there. I'm leaning in. I'm making eye contact. I'm ready to go, you know. And um,
1: was, was it was it you? Have you got time, George? By the way, have you okay for time? Yeah, yeah, let's oh, go. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> but with Frotch, was it was it just kind of stoking his ego and sort of I guess having the um what was it the kind of impertinence for for him to to think you're on his level in a way was that the kind of because he was an established champion at the time wasn't it? it was almost getting on his radar like pricking a pricking a beast
0: yeah you know like he'd um I'm doing a tour with Carl now, so we're talking about this every week. <laughs> are, you, are you
1: genuine? What, what's that like? Because is it surreal for you? Because I know you've been on Sky Sports together, and I know you've mm. been together on social media. And, and I had an invite, actually. It's a real shame I can't come and host with you guys in in Glasgow, which I'm gutted about, because I'd love to see it live and and the chemistry. And see it's, it's pretty sports.
0: good. It's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. So, um And maybe like listening to Bob Dylan do... Uh, do a rolling stone It's never quite the same You know It's always A slightly different tempo Slightly different tone um, We haven't quite found Our groove Which is great Because I don't want it To become that
1: Yeah
0: um, Do but, you still yeah. There's
1: still tension Between you It's not like Kind of It wasn't well, all stage acting
0: and... Yeah no 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 There's nothing I mean It was never Nothing was staged In, in our rivalry before And now obviously we, We're talking About our story So you know I've, I've got a general timeline Of what's What's going to happen But you know, he—the more he learns about what I'm going to say, and more, more I learn about what he's going to say—then um, there's still that competitiveness of, you know, who wants to. <laughs> Who wants to convert the casuals still, you know? Like, so, <laughs> some rooms, some... When the room's evenly split, I think that's when it's perfect because neither of us yeah. get the ump that the other guys to... Uh, <laughs> oh, being. you want to get the neutrals
1: on board, Who's, who supports who, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, so, like, you know, there'll be half, half there for Carl, maybe half for me, and that's when it goes really well. But, obviously, it builds up to the controversy of, of the first fight, Howard Foster, and... Mm. When you and you, but you know, whether people thought that the fight would co- needed to continue and Carl would get the win, or whether they need to continue because it, you know, I was going to get the win. The room always concludes that the fight was stopped too early, so that's where like me and Carl yeah. can probably agree on that. And now I try and you know, I, I've got my <laughs> violin out at this point, and I'm like, I feel sorry for Carl because he genuinely believes he was in with her, but. Obviously, everyone knows that he didn't stand a chance. You know, he got beat, well, punched, numb for first six, six, seven, eight rounds. And first time he threw a punch, you know, the referee jumps in and, and stops it. He didn't even land it. Look, watch, watch it back. It's me. Look, I'm punching back. So, um, no, it's just a, uh, it's good. But that it's just another thing that you have
1: to. Would you um, say you're, Would you say your friends now with him? What would you? How would you term? Yeah,
0: no, yeah. I would. I would. I'd call him a friend. You know, we we are part of. Um, sort of exclusive group i suppose who are ex-world champions like uh ex-fighters now in the real world um trying to find our feet trying to keep you know uh wondering what 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 shall we do what works for us what doesn't uh we're both we both like doing the 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 media side of stuff we like being at the boxing calling calling the fights um and he and i and He's a couple. Of, he's, he's ten years older than me, and he's a mm. you know five six years ahead of me in terms of his retirement and you know stuff like that. So you know, I've always got one eye on him to see how I'm like thinking and it? feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you he's brand
1: new. You, yeah, looks yeah, very exactly. good. <laughs> um,
0: so you know, I, there's a lot. There's always been. I, I mean, the thing that I would never give him was to show him the respect that I had for him when we were boxing mm. because. That didn't really serve me any purpose, you know. I wanted him to him to get agitated because that was probably what was really grinding the most. That every, up to that date, would had all these big wins and fought all these big names and won numerous world yeah. titles,
1: and I was just like,
0: Yeah, you know, <laughs> anyone you know could have done that, Cole. You know
1: what though? Is he does he express gratitude towards you? And I wonder this because he was a champion, a fine champion for a long time, but maybe you brought him to the public's attention in a way that, that he hadn't done before because he was fighting on different platforms wasn't he? he wasn't necessarily fighting on a big platform in the uk even though he was fighting guys like andre ward i think the ward fight was on on sky sports who was a, an all-time great andre ward but it, it seemed like that really exploded him into the public consciousness and i'm sure got his biggest payday at wembley in, in 2014
0: yeah yeah i mean I, i'm sure i'm sure he i'm sure he does like um it's uh it was it was a huge everything was about it it was a huge event it was a huge you know rivalry made for huge fights post war attendance record um at Wembley and now we are in that that uh, we've we've got a couple of catchphrases that you know people <laughs> people are dear to now, like, you know, it's, it's, at 80,000 at Wembley. There's a bit of a push and pull and, you know, there's all these other little things. That we're try, we're trying to get away from now, you know, we're going, we're going to cover a sky show. And they're like, at the start, can we do a yeah. little push and pull? And you're like, Oh, come on, let's think of a new gag, shall we? But, yeah. um, yeah. no, nah, you know, it, that's, that's what, that's where my respect comes for Cole, you know, and I don't say it to him because as such in this, this way, because it, it sounds like, It doesn't quite sound as as nice, but he had to suffer for his success. You know, he had to work hard, you know, like, um, yeah, sure, he was earning good money uh, in periods of his career, but it wasn't the money that that was on the table, you know, at the end of his career. Um, So when he goes and fights... um, john pascal on itv i'm sure you know he wasn't set up for life you know and that was a a life and death fight for him at the time which he came through you know yeah then he goes and he has to fight taylor abroad and he gets up off the floor and gets that last clinch win um i admire that you know he's he's got grit you know he's got he's got it um and he he did the super super series um lost to war in the end Yeah. yeah and that yeah had tough fights you know so and then but came straight back from that and blasted out Lucien Butte, you know? Um, so he, right, he talks about the, you know, the, the Kessler fight, uh, the Kessler rematch, you know, but Savage where, I, yeah. where I've got the respect for him is like, by the time you we are at the Kessler rematch, your pay-per-view sold out the O2, you're going know, to earn good money. But before then, like when the money ain't there and the, the accolades are not there, you're not back page news. Um, so he had to work for it had to work hard mm-hmm. for it. Um, much like me, uh, again, little violin comes out, but yeah. I had to work hard for it, you know, I, you know, I went in, you know, I was in massive a massive underdog against the Gal and got the win, a you know, massive underdog against Frutch and felt I got yeah. robbed, you know, go to Wembley Stadium and create yep. in history and then get knocked out, you know, like I'm winning the fight. I've been winning both fights uh, and then I get knocked out and I'm like, wow. Was my career going to get summed up by well, one punch?
1: What, um, what did you go through the process after that the knockout loss to Froch? As you say, you were doing really well. And I was on live on Sky Sports News, and I was supposed to be updating that, but I was updating other stuff, and I, I just transfixed on the boxing, so I was constantly... <laughs> it was just that, and it wasn't like the same as the first fight. It wasn't sort of the d- d- drama early on, but it was just compelling, and obviously the, the stage of it was something we'd never really seen in our era of, of boxing. Obviously, Anthony Joshua has gone on, and that was almost the watershed for, for stadium fights. But what was it like the, the, the months after that? Because you mentioned take responsibility and resilience and and things like that how did you take responsibility and defeat and it's an interesting one with trainers isn't it because when you change trainers you you obviously is that part of taking responsibility that's not a portion of the blame you're not blaming that trainer but you're just saying that actually me taking responsibility is, is moving on
0: well yeah like um so i've got to take i've got to take responsibility because this was um my fault I got knocked out you know I got off the floor to win a fight against Kenny Anderson in the pros when I was when I was coming through a Commonwealth title defense and it and it was like you know but this is different now this is like it's not who wants it most it's not about digging deep biting down the gum shield it's about a split second mistake that I say at the highest level but pretty much at any level yeah cost you the fight and, and
1: for the
0: best me, punch of his career, arguably, isn't it? that? Yeah, I mean, he, he, I say again, I say like the you know, punch from the gods is what I described <laughs> it as at the time, uh, and uh, it's not that it's a lucky punch. It's not a lucky punch, you know. It, it's not that at all. But you know,
1: everything's right.
0: I've, I've given, I've given him that shot. I've made that mistake, and he's found the home for it. You know, like so. I'm. I think I just warmed up, like we, my my game plan for this fight, which. It's only recently since hanging out with Carl realized that, you know, I knew it was. In hindsight, it wouldn't. It didn't. Wasn't the first fight, but I didn't want it to be the first fight. It was going to be. I was going to box sharp and long, and then build into the fight. Second of the fight, I'm going to start putting a bit more pressure on. And in the eighth round, um, I do put a bit more pressure on. I land some some decent shots. Um, but in his mindset, he he's, he's he's this fight's going perfectly for him because. I'm moving around the ring. He's circling. I'm circling. Um, He's trying to cut me off with, with his feet um but more than anything i let him off the hook you know i mean I, you know he was probably expecting a torrid time loads of big right hands coming in at yeah. like me just trying to make him pay and
1: and he was the older guy wasn't he as well actually so if you did maybe up the tempo could have been
0: yeah yeah yeah. i mean he's super fit he's a fantastic yeah. athlete great good strength good good stamina you're like um probably and, and better than mine like better than mine but i was a much more explosive fighter you know so mm. that is taxing you're gonna get i'm gonna get more tired quicker than he is that said, I'm in phenomenal shape. I can I can maintain this pace. The pace of the first fight, I could have maintained for the full twelve rounds. As I say, you'd have to go. You'd have to carry me out that ring. At that point, it's the world title fight. It's it's what I've worked for my entire life. Mm. So Wembley Stadium, it's a totally uh, different sort of tactics from my part. I'm like, yeah, I'm circling, but I'm boxing well, and I'm winning the rounds. Um, the scorecards kind of reflect that. It was pretty even, but I felt like I was winning the rounds. Um, and then from the second half of the fight. Foot on the gas, and then the last three rounds, championship rounds, I'm going to be fresh and I'm going to just give him hell. Um, I've trying for a check hook, yeah. Um, he sees it, steps across the line, long, reachy jab, um, jab come hook, and he just almost pulls me onto that perfect uh, right
1: open, hand. open channel, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you're... and you know, yeah. the head
0: rolls, I hit the deck, like legs up behind my head, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm all over the place. I jump up, you know, I mean, as I say, that fitness was good like it's fitness that got me up so i'm up i'm up before the 10 count but i'm not back in the yeah. room before the 10 count you know i look at my corner and I just say is that have i been stitched up again or is this the right and they're looking <laughs> at me like no, no no you got done there i was like oh man is that is like, that it,
1: easier, is it easier to recover from self-belief than it would be if you were completely outboxed for 12 rounds and and just demolished you feel like we talk about joshua Renusik, is that harder to recover from in a way than a, than a one punch knockout like that Ah,
0: uh, yeah i mean i think so i mean Ignorance, maybe, but I've never boxed anyone who I, who I don't think I, I can beat, like mm. amateur and pro. Um, the uh, barring I lost a badu jack on a split decision, which was really close a split decision yeah, that was a
1: third um, world title strike, third
0: world title fight. But I lost to Frotch one and two, and Callum Smith in the end. I was winning all of them fights. It doesn't matter yeah. because that's not what boxing is about, we're winning, but it just shows that you know. I, I can hang, I was hanging with these guys at least, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not like I was out of my depth getting bashed up and then stopped. No. So, um, yeah, the confidence is always, always there. It still is like, you know, um, I just, um, you just got to go out there and do it. You know, I don't know. Like it, it <laughs> doesn't, it, you know, I tell kids, I'm in the gym with them on a Sunday morning, down the day and I'm like, you know, I'm coaching them through, you know, just giving them my, my two cents worth, which, not all of it is applicable because they're amateur boxers still, you know, I can't, you can't yeah. teach a, you know, tw- a world champion 12 round fighter, but you know, getting them there and their balance, right. Their stance, right. Their feet, right. And then just, it would take me like four rounds to just get them to punch properly. And then the power is like, they'll be hitting twice as hard. It's night and day. Mm-hmm. And then they say, right, but take that, that is com- like, take that confidence with you, you know, take yeah. that, take that belief with you. And this is just scratching the surface of what you're capable of. Um, so, I am for all fighters to have that confidence in the first place, to believe that they're winners in the first place. And then, as I say, follow, follow the traits, follow the seven traits to create resilience when the times get tough and the unwavering self confidence, the, the belief, the unwavering self belief um, that you accumulate through your experiences um so
1: take action not just think about it because a lot of people lord the secret don't they and things like that and say you can picture all these Mm. things coming to you and and being great but ultimately you have to get the reps in and the practice and make the use of time like you said
0: yeah i think so i think so um both are important you know like both both are very important um you know i used to go (laughs) to go running in the dark um I used to run at night and then like uh I just ended up used to run in the dark because it was just there was no traffic, you know, stuff like that. And I used to run yeah. on the grass because my knees were sore at the time. So um, yeah. but it put you put it had the headphones on, um, and I used to go into this sort of trance-like state, you know, with the music's like pumping in my ears, it's pitch black, I can't see six feet in front of me. Um, running around at old deer park in Richmond. Um, nice, and it was uh it was amazing, like it was amazing because without even realising it, I'd be processing the, the days that I've that I've experienced and what's coming next and what to anticipate and um, living it through in my brain. Like, um, And nine times out of 10, it's like, it's living the fun bits, you know, not always living the bad bits, like living the fun bits, you know, so it wouldn't be the grueling fight I've had to win the world title. It'll be the, you know, the lifting of the arm and the receiving the belt at the end. Um, but it just gives you that, a desire to achieve it you know you're living it time and time again what, so, uh, what,
1: when you talk about um those seven traits they're very much individual traits but we live as humans we're kind of pack animals we have people that help us and we have to navigate through society and it's interesting i saw and i've had on a podcast a couple of times dan lawrence you know on social media perform 365 who's been matchrooms head of conditioning for a long time works with a lot of boxers including connor ben now but i understand you helped him launch a new service that he's offering to i think pts or something like that how was significant was he in you in getting that right help how important is that And i know ultimately you have to have a bit of money to spend a bit of money on someone like that but for people in boxing and even outside of boxing how important is that we invest with with help sometimes in ourselves like that
0: yeah no definitely i mean uh, so dan dan i started working i was still training with adam booth and adam booth liked to sort of have um like to control all the pawns, you know, like so um he put me in with a strength and conditioning coach was a really talented um coach called Jez Wilcox at the third space gym. So I was with Jez for a few years, then um I think Adam put an end to that. I can't remember what that it was, but then I tried with Pete Marcasiano, who's a very good strength conditioning coach. Anyway, in the Adam put an end to that. So in the end I was like, right, I'm gonna find my own strength coach. And it was this 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 guy, Dan Lawrence, who was um yeah pt at the virgin active which i was using
1: at the time he lives, he lives near you as well doesn't he, he
0: lives um yeah he's, he's down yeah. he's down he's down the road like southwest yeah. i don't know he lives down in Teddy and and um just just a a, a a good guy but he stood out amongst some very talented um pts in, in 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 the gym at the time um it was a young it was a gym with a young crowd there was there's money there so like it was a good it was a good platform for for, for pts to sort of stand out but he did stand out and i I I said, look, let's do some stuff together, you know. Mm. Uh, And at the very start, it was like, um, this is what I like to do. This is what I've done before. Mm. So come along uh, and, you know... Thought, me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you're the yeah. stopwatch monkey. You just stand there and do the counting. Yeah. yeah?
1: Um, go, go, George.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's not what I wanted. I just needed someone t- to be accountable to and someone I did And we um had a good connection at the RFU um oh yeah. Twickenham Stadium, and they've got a fantastic well the virgin
1: city. the virgin gym is in the Twickenham Stadium, is it? That's it the, is, yeah, yeah.
0: But the um but inside in the dungeons, sort of underneath the, the concrete, you know, uh mm. There's like your they had they had a, they had a gym for the first team, ah. um, and like it's crazy. Do you know what I mean like they they've got like eighty kilo dumbbells in there? I couldn't get I couldn't pick one up if I, tried. I used to, We used
1: to be members of that gym, and I remember like the big rugby boys coming in and they, into the sauna. And my wife was there, and I was like, "Oh God, let's <laughs> <laughs> <this> <laughs> <of the> <laughs> yeah."
0: Do you mind lads? Do you mind? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> never take, never let your missus get in the sauna. No. Than mine. That's, that's that's. Oh no! Should be the, the name of this podcast. Yes. They um. So yeah, so we was in there training and then straight away I know oh, Dan's the man, he's got it for me. He like, you know, coming coming with the great ideas that but not just like having the knowledge, being able to like um this, this guy's you know, the, 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 these guys have got to be the ones that can think on their feet like we do, you know. So mm. this exercise isn't working for you today because you've got a little niggle here in the tricep, right? You need to get the same result. Here's a different exercise. Yeah, Which, there we are. Or we you know you need to get like it'll be on your case to get these reps and get push yourself you know because we used to do we never did split split sets like we would do full body mm. um full body twice a week because I felt like I was at an age where I need to increase my strength you know yeah. and the split set you just don't you can't fit in four strength sessions a week when you're a pro fighter two maximum so so we so do, do like big big upper body big leg big, body, big, like yeah, body, big yeah. compound lifts we you know supplement with other stuff um Dan, Dan's a great coach you know and then from from there we you know I started training with Shane McGuigan and um Shane wanted me sort of all in mm. so I had to sadly say to Dan like oh you know I've got to make this commitment to Shane he didn't know Dan at the time you know like you get loads of loads of people in boxing who mm. you know, talk a good game but don't have a clue and I trained with yeah. Darrell Richards who's another excellent strength conditioning coach um Darrell uh I'm not sure if he's he's not really with Shane anymore because Shane ended up moving to Canterbury and I think it was mm. just too much of a commute for for Daryl. But um,
1: yeah. Great... What difference does that make on fight night? Do you think the, the, the right strength and conditioning? And I guess the right... Some people will go to psychology to add a bit of extra into it. Psychologist, what do you think percentage-wise it, it adds to the mix? Because I guess mm. everyone's getting it now, but it's how good your guy or girl is who's given you that advice. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's... So Dan, Dan, I predominantly did strength with rather than we, you know, he wanted to take over a lot more conditioning, but yeah,
1: you know,
0: I didn't, I didn't quite let him. I felt like, you know, because you your running um, and
1: stuff and you, so.
0: running and stuff. And, and, you know, I had another guy called Barry O'Connor, who's a, who's an ex Royal Marine. Like, so his supervisor was to come in, right? Well, I want you there for the punching sessions. And at the end of the punching sessions, we're going to do some sort of circuit or something that's going to make me teak tough. I was looking at mm. Sergio Martinez and fighters like that. I was like, man, these guys look like can bend iron bars. You know I mean, I don't want to shake his hand. He'll break my, you know, break yeah. my fingers. And that's what I wanted. So I found a, I found a Royal Marine in Hammersmith who, um, was as hard as they come, you know? Um, and we vibed and we ended up doing a lot of the sort of the conditioning side of stuff. Um, he didn't have the knowledge that Dan did in terms of strength. Obviously a lot of his stuff is like, um, from a bike on era, really. If you were talking about the Marines, like they, they make you tough mentally uh, and physically as well. But you know, they're not like the US where they're performance athletes. They're different sort of strength. Anyway, so um, me and Dan did a lot of the, the the strength stuff, and it is it is vital. It's very important for um for, for for competing. You you could if someone who ain't got none of it, and you give it to them, you might see a, a vastly improved fighter once you've got it, you just need to maintain it. So from about, for for me, from about 26 onwards, you know, I'm not setting any more PBs. You know what I mean? I now just, it go, I went into a stage where I need to maintain strength as I'm cutting weight. Mm. So if I'm 91 kilos and I'm lifting one and a half times body weight or something for, for an exercise, as long as I can, as long as I keep that same weight, you know, like 160 plus kilos and then I'm down at 81 kilos, but that's a significant strength gain. Um, so I wasn't trying to push it that way does he do um,
1: punch movement stuff is it like kettlebell stuff in punch movements or is it more just conventional weights you do benches and stuff like that and...
0: no so we do um, uh, you know it's it's about creating power and um, cre- creating strength and endurance or whatever it may be but it doesn't matter how strong you are until you can convert that into your boxing you know yeah. into your punches so exercises are specific mm. to boxing at the same time they can't quite be too specific because no. there's some things that people do that are just terrible. Like, so you see guys shadow boxing with dumbbells, you know, that's mm-hmm. the worst thing you could ever do. Even a kilo dumbbell, like all you're doing yeah. is building um, time on detention in your shoulders and in your traps where you're going to essentially slow up, you know, mm-hmm. but if you've got a med ball and you're, you're flinging it out, yeah. you know, in a boxing yeah. type Biceps, movement. Yeah. 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 So we had these, these we was in big bear for six weeks for the, for the six, seven weeks for the Badu Jack fight. Um, and we found that we struggled to find the right gym. There wasn't that many on offer. And we took a bit of kit out with us, but they had these lovely little slam balls that were, I'm trying to find them over here. Most slam balls are almost the size of a medicine ball over here, yeah. like a football size. These less. were just about bigger than a cricket ball. Um, yeah. But for boxing, it's fantastic because you could grip one properly with one hand and absolutely uh-huh. launch it. Uh, and then you could do the boxing movements with it um that was a fun thing (laughs) and there's something fun about throwing about throwing stuff about um so Dan Dan was great I think Dan I learned a lot from Dan Dan I hope will learn a lot from me as well he's experienced with me and he has gone from strength to strength since then and I'm really happy for him he's working with some of the best fighters we've got in the UK now he's worked with athletes across all different um sports and it, it it's um it doesn't surprise me that um you know, he's got, he's got to this level. Um, so uh, long may his um, success continue. He's got, con- Connor Ben looks in, in tremendous shape. John Ryder, I think, is a fantastic project. Yeah. You know, John Ryder now, uh, you know,
1: yeah. He could have beat Callum Smith, couldn't he, I think, in that fight?
0: I thought he beat Callum Smith that night, didn't get yeah. the decision. And, you know, he hasn't really been looked after since, you know. He hasn't been fed any big fights. He, no one spoke about him. He just got forgotten about. He's but, almost um, a
1: nice guy, John, isn't he? Do you worry sometimes? He's a lovely guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I told, like, <laughs> the difference between me and you, I started telling Dan, I said, John, man, he needs to get him out and about. Like, I'll be screaming and shouting. I wouldn't be taking this sign. Like, I'd get something out of this. Yeah. But, don't think it's in John John's makeup, like but
1: weights as well. It's interesting, guy. like boxing as well. Like people looked at him apparently, and you know, Darren Barker and, and Darren said to me, they sort of saw him and they thought, well, he can't be heavier weight than Darren because he's shorter than Darren. But literally, if you, mm. you've ever touched John Ryder, he's made of like granite, he's different. Yeah, think he, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's gone to super I'm, middle, and he's, he's even though he's a shorter guy, he's actually excelled at super middle.
0: Yeah, and there's talk of him going up to like heavyweight now, which is madness, you know, yeah. But um, his style might suit it because he's got that sort of Low, like low stance, peekaboo start. He covers ground real quick. He can spring into range. He's got real, like extreme power from from the legs. Um, Dan says he's, you know, his lifting is ridiculous. Like Mm. he lifts way above whatever I could ever have achieved, you know? So that's like partly genetic, I suppose, um, what he is and what he's made up of. But then as I say, it's converting that power Mm. into your boxing. Being able, you know, you could, Deontay Wilder's talking about doing bench press. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know but it doesn't matter take- the bench press has gone up you're going to have to convert that power into your yeah punching. and the speed
1: is why well. you don't want to lose the speed for Wilder because that's his, his big asset I guess
0: mm, exactly
1: what quickly george wrap it up I, I appreciate really appreciate your time it's fascinating that's you, all isn't? right, that's right.
0: but i always talk and talk and talk everyone it's, you know, I don't it's,
1: know. Such a, it's such a deep thinking about. i love it this is perfect i really appreciate your time because you don't have to do this and it's, it's fantastic i just want those seven traits when you look at the world now because one of the reasons i started the podcast i did the boxing podcast at sky for a number of years and when i went staff at sports news i had to, to give that up sadly but it was some of the best times and you have these conversations and it's a different format but what i wanted to try and do was connect sport and regular life and the lessons perhaps we, we get from it when you look at those seven things what do you think people struggle with most in in everyday life do you think it's taking responsibility is it is it self-belief what are the, the problems that people encounter? yeah
0: like so you do, do i do a corporate talk and i'm talking to people in a room from all different backgrounds most of the time it's not from sport you know mm. they but they got that competitive edge, you know, like whether they're in sales or whether they're in banking or whatever, whatever it may be where, you know, there's, you know, i talk about rivalries and stuff like this. Like it, it's part and parcel. It can be related to anyone and everything in their life, whether it be in their work, work situation, their personal relationships, stuff like that. Um, they, I mean, they're all tough, you know, they're, they're all tough, you know, like be willing to make sacrifices at a time when, you don't want to do it it's tough taking responsibility you know um is it's a tough is one to fault. even it's understand yeah exactly like because you you might think i've took responsibility but have you actually you know because you know i thought i took responsibility when i lost to Carl frotch um in the rematch at wembley um but i could say that i could say the same thing if not more after i lost a battle jack in vegas you know that oh mm. actually now i'm actually really taking responsibility and because that means i'm gonna to have to make some changes them changes again are making sacrifices but i don't want to waste time you know yeah I've got to stay focused got to keep going the hardest thing sometimes and maybe the hardest thing for me because it took me the longest would be willing to restart you know to start mm. over like if a you're... new
1: career or whatever it might be for people or new relationships. Yeah, so
0: yeah exactly so like i mean i'm at i mean this is number seven and this is where it ends up going full circle for me so i'm like you know be willing to restart i've just lost a Baddy jack you know and i'm i'm thinking about what is life uh it's instead of always thinking what is life after boxing now i'm thinking what is life instead of boxing it's like i'm gonna have to call it a day you know? My dream has always been to become a heavyweight world uh, heavyweight. It was that was, was yeah. to become a world to become a world champion. Um, twenty
1: seven or twenty eight then as well, weren't you? You're were young,
0: I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was top of the weight class. I was featherweight at, at eleven. You know, I was. Um, yeah, I thought I was welterweight at twelve. Twelve. I thought I was going to be a heavyweight. It sort of plateaued around fourteen, where <laughs> I've been middleweight ever since. Um, but yeah, be willing to start over. Like, just be willing to like to. to you chase it, you've worked so hard for something, sometimes it's hard to let it go, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, right there and then, lost to Badu Jack, I'm like, well, I had two questions. Um, am I good enough to become a world champion? And am I willing to make it happen? Um, and they're two, two of the most poignant questions that I've ever had to ask myself. And they're questions that I always ask people, you know, whatever, if they're chasing their goal or they're, you know, they're, they've set their target or whatever it may be in their life that they need to achieve, um, are you will like um are you willing to like to say do I've lost my question now? <laughs> Where, uh, are you willing to make it happen? You know, yeah. um are you good enough are you good enough to achieve a goal and are you willing to make it happen? And for me, like I was I was good enough to become world champion and my god I'm gonna to have to go out there and, and do it, you know? Mm. Um and that's when I went out of you know I started I made first call I I made some got my friend to call um rob mccracken i was like mm. man it's just eating the humble pie but you gotta Project do it you know? Yeah. yeah gonna i'll gonna so i had a meeting with with rob um he was great i said like bless you uh, you know i respect you he's the guy who trained Cole front to beat me twice you know he's been in the rival camp you know he's been the enemy for so long but wow. man he got Carl to there you know i'll give it a go man i we, we met up, we did a couple of sessions together, but, you know, it didn't, didn't quite sink. Like, we, you know, I don't think he was the right guy for me. So um, Shane McGregor comes in and I meet Shane and we vibe straight away. And I knew this was going to work. You know, he was in a, a winning environment. You know, he was, he was mm. training Carl Frampton, who's world champion. He was training Josh Taylor, you know, uh, wow. Conrad Cummins was in there. Like there was, there was a bunch mm. of good fighters in the gym and I wanted to be part of it. You know, um, David Hay, who was someone who I was a bit estranged from at the time, but I knew David Hay trained with Adam Booth, who was a very good coach, but had his, you know, had other, other problems. But it was a bit of comfort that Hay thought um, Shane was a good coach. So this is definitely worth, worth me having a conversation with him pursuing because Shane's younger than me, which is kind yeah. of, it's weird. a bit bizarre. It's a bit weird in boxing. You know, i would always had, older coaches, you know, always had significantly older coaches. Like Adam was 20 years older than me. Paddy, maybe about the same. Uh, Mick Delaney, he's in his seventies now. So, um, yeah, this was, this is, you know, what can this guy teach me? But yeah. that, it, that wasn't what it was about anymore. You know, this was about, you know, uh, I'd best, lived and breathed boxing for, for, yeah, for like 25, 26 years now. I just need someone who, who's got a knowing eye who can, Steam in the right direction at the right time. And it was fantastic for me really, because Shane never really tried to reinvent the wheel with me or try and change me or try and patronize me or anything like that. Shane, Shane understood that, you know, i I'd, I'd been through the mill. Um, I had, I had what it, what it took. I just, just didn't get to the, didn't get to the finish line. You know, I tell people I, I, uh, the first fight with Carl, I climbed Everest, but mm. I got 15 feet from the top. <laughs> and yeah. then I lingered lingered there I tell people I've climbed Everest no you haven't you haven't made it yeah. and I was lingering there lingering there for years and years and believing I was a world champion believing I'd climbed Everest just didn't have the belt to show it you know but actually I wasn't I had to come all the way back down to the start I had to yeah. restart and then climb it again and then I made
1: it, <laughs> I well, made it's, it. it's a brilliant story and he got fed or tuned enough He won the world title and then you exited pretty quickly but that taking responsibility strikes me as well as something in society we're not really encouraged to do i think even like well, don't get me wrong i'm double vaccinated and everything like that but the agenda hasn't been pushed around health since the pandemic which is interesting because that's things that that people can actively do like exercise lose weight whatever it might be but we're not given that message we're always looking i think sometimes in society for a silver bullet for someone to to help us i don't know if you feel that sometimes as well yeah
0: it. yeah no definitely 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 i mean um i uh the world is, is a peculiar place right now um there's unlimited sources of information um so uh, you know i don't think facts exist anymore like don't come at me with a fact because um i'm just gonna go with my gut like what is my gut feeling boxing yeah. boxing teaches you um <laughs> to question things you know there's a certain uh, level of, of paranoia i suppose that's involved in boxing but you know things aren't quite what they seem and so you you got to be there to question things at times and don't you know my gut feeling now really uh, on many things is you know what do we know and we've been told for years and years and years that the things that are actually healthy for us are good for us good for our mental health and stuff like yeah. this you know let's not let's not disguise everything with mental health you know um
1: it's all connected, isn't it? Because,
0: because ultimately, you know, the reason that um, winning a world title at the fourth attempt, beating Fedor Tudinov felt it was the greatest boxing feeling i ever had because I'd had so much misery before yeah. then. I'd had to work so hard for it. Yeah. You know, if if I was gifted, you know, uh, if I'd beat James DeGalle for the British title and then, you know, I'd, I'd boxed... Um, some some you know low ranking you know eastern european for Mm. a vacant world title and won it for for a few bob i it wouldn't have felt the same you know like i had to to suffer to get my goodness you know i had to go through some 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 dark times to get there and so i don't have a problem with (laughs) dark times you know there's and you've got to have that understanding of the difference between crippling depression and actually just being a bit miserable, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause it's actually not the worst thing in the world because all yeah, of a sudden yeah. when the sun comes out, it feels that much better, but live healthy, you know, like, um, I, diet is important. You know, I knew diet was important forever, but you know, like, uh, I bought a juicer. <laughs> I mean, juicing. Juicing is yeah. cool. And then I met Thomas Robinson, who ex um, professional footballer, mm. um, he's got a company called the turmeric company where um everyone pronounces turmeric different hopefully yeah sometimes
1: they say turmeric and some say yeah yeah i can't yeah. remember what he said i was um, going to
0: follow his lead but um so he's you know they sell these little shots of of turmeric you know mixed with ginger and a few other things and it boosts your immune system i mean i'm scared to post it in case i upset you him know, and yeah. say yeah look have this yeah you know uh, have this booster each day rather than this covid booster which is kind of artificial <laughs> you know um especially if you're not in your 80s like live a healthy lifestyle um mm. yeah be, be who you are and be happy my dad used to say to me he still does now he says be happy mm. <laughs> and yeah. I say what on earth does that mean dad like uh and he said that to me since I was a kid um and he's a, he was a painter and decorator by trade so I, he's a deep thinker you know like you know, it's it's been on hours, yeah. hours on air, yeah. yeah thinking and now that he's he's retired now, but he's um, he's a very good oil painter. He oh, paints wow. fantastic pictures, you know, uh, fantastic uh, canvases and that. Again, a thinker. And um, Be happy. And it took me years and years to think. And I was like, yeah. You may just as well. Be, just be happy. Like, be happy. That's a – what a great phrase. It's two words. It's not hard to remember. Um, sometimes – you don't need someone else to, to make you happy. Just mm. just be grateful. Be happy. Like you know, find find something yeah. good out there that works for you. You know. Um,
1: That's funny. My granddad was a painter decorator. He actually worked in a Buckingham in Buckingham Palace for a while as well. He was quite a happy guy. So There must be something about <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, say, having time to work things out when you're uh, when you're painting those walls. And I always feel guilty if I don't edge properly or cut in and all that stuff. If I'm, <laughs> I'm <thinking laughs> yeah <anything laughs> yeah <out>. he <laughs> taught <laughs> me when I was, I was like, on... twelve. So
0: yeah yeah yeah. I, I it's not for me. I suppose no. I'm not that sort of deep thinker. I just no. paint the room once and I was like, he's like yeah, it needs like three coats. I'm oh, like, no. wow, no, 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 I'm out now. This
1: yeah. <laughs> has yeah. got to be done for me. Yeah, two high standards, yeah, definitely. Uh, George, mate, lovely to speak to you. And I think the best thing is as well to just – and I said this last time I saw you – how happy you are retired. You got out early relatively for, for a boxer at 30, but you're well, you're, you're intelligent, you're lucid, you're articulate, which I think is always – reassuring for, for those of us who don't have the the cojones to have got in there and, and fought in the ring that you guys have for me partly made a career as well covering the sport. It's just great that that when people get out well and, and happy and I think that's that's an important message, isn't it? Sometimes you have to move on.
0: Oh thank you yeah yeah no um I'm happy I got no I got no desire to box. I suppose that might be that might be part of the happiness and I'm not sure why. That might be a bit bizarre. But um no I, you know I I, uh, I got Got two small kids you know um i liked the idea of in and out of 30 and having some time to to develop and maybe good at be good at something else one day um and you know i try and um take some time to uh, to absorb the world around me uh <laughs> rather than head down grafting um the discipline aspect i try and keep a bit of discipline you know discipline was was vital in in boxing uh, now, discipline, not quite needed so much, but it's nice just to have a, a slower pace of life. And I'm, I'm blessed that I've got myself into a position to be able to do that. Um, so
1: I can only be happy and thankful for it. Yeah, good for you. And um, Frotch Grove's tour still going. Still tickets available. Can they? Can they yeah, yeah, the there's media? still tickets available.
0: It seems like one of it. The, like, then they're, they're not auditoriums where you're gonna. You know, there's there's tables. They're table dinner shows, and I'm sure like <laughs> if, uh, if 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 anyone calls a promoter, Mac Meg says, "Oh, I want a table." He'll squeeze another table in. You know, uh-huh, so there's might. always tickets available. So um, yeah, get yourself down to one of them. Anyone who wants to wants to come. We're, We've done London now. I think a few more of them are now up up north. We've got one way up in Glasgow, Leeds,
1: Sheffield or Shrewsbury or
0: something like that. So we're were there or thereabouts. We will find (laughs) you. I
1: think Shropshire and Yorkshire are a bit far apart. Shrewsbury (laughs) is one of those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Good man. George, thank you. I really appreciate it, mate.
0: No worries. uh, Cheers, bud.
1: Oh, well, I really loved that. I have to say, uh, George is a compelling guy. I've met on a number of occasions. Interviewed him for Sky Sports and worked recently with him at dinner in Birmingham where we uh, watched the Joshua Usyk fight and had conversations with with people there, boxing fans who are businessmen predominantly. And George's uh, poor wife is in the midst of these guys as it got more and more raucous as the night went on. Um, but I have to say, I was not even expecting that in terms of how it fits the concept of the podcast, why I tried to I guess, do a deep dive into why we like sport, what it brings us, the values, the sort of metaphor, the crystallization of certain key things. And those seven keys, I think, not wasting time, taking responsibility. I think massive, aren't they? Certainly took it out for me and keep going. Important one, isn't it? Particularly at the moment, I think for a lot of people in business and life, generally, there's so much uncertainty and chatter and keeping focused on what you keep focused on. And also that Preparation, as he says, it's not about the jargon and what you call it, whether you say visualise to materialise, but just that he thought about those press conferences that were seismic in terms of putting him onto a different level of of public consciousness with the, the ringside press conference at James De Gale. How he built that up, how he built the Carl Froch rivalry up. Ultimately, I think, there's a lot of George doing to to sort of poke Carl frotch and set up that eighty thousand event at Wembley in twenty fourteen. I believe it's May thirty first. Maybe wrong off the top of my head, but wonderful interview. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please let me know. You can rate it on iTunes, write a review. If you do write a review, I'll try and share that on the podcast as well, because I think that's quite cool. Um, and you can email the podcast for any suggestions hello at drapermedia.co.uk and of course I think rating it is significant on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to and if you be honest <laughs> don't bash me just for the sake of it but uh, if you you know don't have to give it five star if you don't want but of course that would be appreciated and help it bring come to the attention of other people well thank you for being here thanks to the sponsors Bang Nolipson of Cheltenham and Serene AV who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands Providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installation, check out Bangalore's sort of Cheltenham website, B-N-O underscore Cheltenham on social media. And if you are looking to optimize your immunity as we head into winter, particularly as a night's nice in, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, not much daylight around, not much opportunity to get that precious vitamin D3 that's so important for our immunity and our general well being and state of feel of well being, apparently the research seems to be suggesting. And if, um, you would like to to get vitamin D3, vitamin D3 or whatever else at cytoplan.co.uk. The discount code associated with this podcast is DRAPER10R. D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. So it's DRAPER10R. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Appreciate it. Have a great week and goodbye for now.